Hello everyone and welcome to a backstage special episode of Flawless. My name is Liam. Unfortunately, George and Grant can't be here today, but we do have a special guest with us, Connor from Bugs. G'day, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, yeah, I'm playing the band Bugs. We're from Brisbane. Um, I've been playing music for about the best part of 15 odd years, which is more than half my life, I guess. And um, yeah, today we're going to be talking about Turning On, which is an album by Cloud Nothings, my favourite band in the world by far. So I'm very excited to be talking about that with you. pick this album in particular um a few different things i think um i guess the key element that would make me pick it is the influence that it had on me not just i guess not so much growing up but as i was growing into becoming like a songwriter or, or an independent musician who'd write in original music because i guess learning about the way the dylan the front man of cloud nothings went about i guess creating this fake band I guess yep. per se from out of nowhere that's what kind of inspired me and not just the music and the production techniques those are parts of it that obviously appealed to me for reasons of personal taste but I think it's more so the development of him as an artist throughout that period as it was their first album their first release and yep. his first chance ever writing songs so yeah. like I've obvi I obviously like the songs and I reckon the music's incredible, but mm. it's more so, I guess, the kind of like DIY story behind it that's kind yeah. of like made me pick it because it has, a, has had a strong influence on how I've kind of built my musical career for yeah. want of another word. Cool. So yeah, so Cloud Nothings at the time were, was just Dylan Baldy. He was just writing and recording stuff with his one computer and one microphone. Yeah, bingo. And then over time, he sort of expanded it out. He had a live band and then he made that live band into the full band and yeah. started recording with them. But at the time, he was it was definitely like a one-man show. Yeah, yeah, bingo. He also, um, so he was just recording stuff in his bedroom, like little singles and stuff and just throwing it out there. Yeah. And it was so interesting. Like, So he put a couple, he put um, Hey Cool Kid and... Uh, what do you want to know? Yeah, yeah. He just put them up online, yeah. and then someone re literally reached out. So it's like the opposite of like the story of most bands. So yeah. like, he put them out there. Someone reached out and said, "Hey, I want to put your stuff out." So yeah. he he like wrote six more songs in six days. Yeah, put it out, and then after that, someone literally reached out to him and said again and said, "Hey, I want to put your stuff out on vinyl. Yeah. Let's let's be a thing." And it's just yeah. You, all those bands that toil and slave away <laughs> to try and get recognition, and he was just working on stuff in his bedroom and putting it out there. So, yeah. and it's even like really interesting because like most even people that get themselves into that position have played in bands for years to get to that point where they do do that kind of yeah. experimental kind of like side projects all these other different things that you kind of throw throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks but yeah, yeah it was literally his first foray into writing like mm. original music that's why it's so like not juxtaposing but ironic that he could be successful yeah. in just like a kind of like bit part like yeah. casual project that was just an experiment really mm. and yeah like i think it was like 
Pitchfork that basically approached him to go to a festival they were putting on in New York nice. after he'd put out the 8-track and then after that everything just started to steamroll in terms of touring offers and support offers and then I think it was um, Car Park came on board for the first and then they yeah they reissued and did Turning On as an album because yeah. originally I think it was an EP which I didn't actually know until we were yeah. kind of planning this <laughs> podcast which was I'm very grateful for you letting me do this nice. still like, yeah. um because I feel like it was only an EP because he didn't know what else to kind of call it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Because when you first said it, the first thing I looked up, the original version, said it was only eight songs. But yeah. in my mind, eight songs is an album. Yeah, well, that's, that's like... That's still like even even eight songs under 30 minutes. The length doesn't matter. It's yeah. the volume of the songs. And they're definitely eight separate tracks. It's not yeah. like a couple of them are like little, like really shorter instrumentals or anything like that. Like yeah. it's full, eight full songs. I'm pretty sure like Waste, like... um. Or was it was it wasted wasted days or like here and nowhere else? There are other albums like I'm pretty sure they're eight or nine tracks. Yeah, as well yeah. the follow up albums. So yeah, it's yeah. not like and it's. I think even wasted yeah. days is like it's even shorter than this one as well. Yeah, it's only got yeah. two long songs on it, and then everything else is super short. Yeah, yeah, it's all the punchy kind of like yeah pop nuggets and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the, the sprawling like experimental stuff, which mm. is like again why it's cool seeing where he's kind of taken it since then as well. But yeah. Yeah, to know where he's taken it, it's interesting to see where the core mm. of it started. Yeah. And that's why I love this record. You can see all the beginnings of kind of his peaked interests in different styles. And there's such like diverse styles of mm. writing throughout the record to still be wrapped in this cohesive lo-fi sound that makes it all sound like it's meant to be together. That's yeah. what I, one of the things I really like mm. love about that album. It's just like... There's almost like country, like sleuthy kind of like yeah. slow <laughs> songs. And then there's like a super punky song. And then there's yeah. just like a more alternative, like emo song. Mm. Like, and he'll just blend between the two or three or yeah. 10 styles on the album. And it all, it all wraps together really seamlessly in the production, which I think, again, is a really cool thing that he took a bit of a, I don't know if it's a chance or like he just didn't know how to really produce hi-fi stuff. He, but, he just didn't know. Like that's yeah. the, I had a look at a few interviews and he, he was basically like, this is all I could do. Yeah. And so when they, so this came out and then they did the re-release version. That was still 2010. Yeah. And then 2011, they had the self-titled album. And yeah. by 2012, he had the full band for... What was it? Was it Attack on Memory? Yeah, Attack yeah, on Memory. Yeah. yeah. So um, when Attack on Memory came out, they were talking to him about, hey, you know, did you want to do the lo-fi stuff from your first album? And he's like, no, no. If I knew how to do it, my first album would have sounded like Attack on Memory. Yeah, like it wasn't yeah. that... I had, you know, I wasn't <laughs> sure. It was just like I had one microphone and one computer, yeah. And I did what I could, and I played all the instruments as best I could, yeah. And then, but you're right. You can totally see then. So I actually think Attack on Memory is a flawless album. I've got that. I had that on my short yeah. list of albums to yeah. talk about. It was hard not to put that it's, in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so good. But in this first stuff, you can see where he's pulling the pieces that he needs to become what will eventually become like the fully fledged band and a yeah. bigger sound and a fully more fully fledged sound. Yeah. So you can see those elements right from the start. Yeah, and the genre is you're right. Like it's normal. We've done bands before where they genre hop too much, yeah. and it just becomes dis, just yeah, discordant. And you sort of lose track of what the band's trying to do. But yeah. in this, because it's still literally him playing every single instrument, even as he's jumping around genres, it's still very much his sound. Yeah, and what he's trying to do. Yeah, bingo. It's like he's interpreting all those different things, and mm. it's yeah, if it's still coming out through the same mouthpiece and the same playing style across a lot of it. Yeah, that's why I think it comes across as such a consistent record and. Uh, yeah, Attack on Memory is like a perfect record as well. It killed me not to even pick that or Here and Nowhere Else. Or uh, My favorite, probably personal favorite to listen to of their albums mm -hmm. is um, one of their newer ones, not Last Building Burning, um, Life Without Sound. That yeah. was the second last one they'd put out. Mm -hmm. That is an absolutely perfect record. But yeah. 
I feel like that would have been too lazy and easy <laughs> for me to pick those ones because, and again, they're just like my taste, whereas this one has a lot more interesting elements behind it. And yeah, yeah. I think it's like, it's got a better story behind how it's kind of come to be as well. Mm. Like the other ones are just like straight follow up, like I know yeah. what we're doing and yeah, we've formed. Pretty standard band stuff now. Yeah, because they're like in their kind of cycle. Even then, they still like this. I feel like they're this band that's in this weird kind of like in between because they have such like a split fan base. Some people love them for those like pop nuggets, like major chord melody songs, like, mm. like Fall In, Stay Useless, that kind of stuff, or a lot of stuff off the first self titled. And then a lot of people love them for those like sprawling, distorted, dripping, like chaotic songs. And like people love them for either a reason and they can't really find a middle ground and make everyone like yeah. the likes them happy. Yeah. So I remember reading Dylan said that like they no matter what they do with a the record, they're always bound to disappoint like some <laughs> portion, a big portion of their fans kind of thing. Yeah. So they just want to do it for what they want to do yeah, now. Yeah, said for just doing what you want to do and not worrying about what yeah. people are going to think about it or how it's going to work. Yeah. And they've never like... Dylan has never struck me as the kind of person who would conform to like a a regular kind of like social like yeah, well yeah a, a need to feel a social conformity he's yeah. been, always been kind of on the fringes of like friend, he's never he's always been a self-described loner he's mm-hmm. a, he's not he's not a very normal person let's yeah. put it that way and like even from having met him when we played with him there like yeah he struck me as like a bit more of a quiet person not like super extroverted yeah which is like it kind of makes sense if you if you ask me. He's and he's mm. got a very observational way of writing with his lyrics as well, which I think he kind of just yeah hangs to the back and sees how things are panning out and then makes assessments as opposed to like well some of his songs are still quite introspective, but it's almost in a guarded way in ways. It's never really too personal. Yep. And that's that's why one of the things I love about their writing is it's so easily relatable for that reason. It's mm. like not too specific or too personal a lot of it can be like a general you can generalize a lot of it to ways that you're feeling so i think he does that really well with his lyric writing as well yeah i think this album the lyrics on this one are um, for most of the songs are quite simple like there's not a huge variety like yeah absolutely he often repeats verses as well like it'll be a verse chorus structure but the verse will just be repeated so i think I mean, a lot of that comes down to he's doing it himself. He's, yeah. he's having to think about the chords and all, the progression and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you can sort of look at and go, oh, I think this means this. Like, he's not being very specific about what it yeah. has to mean. Yeah. So you can then take that and sort of, yeah, pull your own interpretation into it. And it means it also flows with the style of the song as well. Yeah. So it's not just, this is our punk song, this is our angry song. Like, it's, yeah, there's lots of different shades in it in there. Yeah, I think it's a lot almost like I don't know I was about to say he's a lot like me but I'm probably more a lot like him from the influences out of my life but like I remember there's this one like a song of a live session that they did on um, YouTube called Untitled and it's never been released and it was one of the one of the best songs I've ever heard them write and there was an interview with him basically saying that he wouldn't um, like they'd play it live and every time he'd play it they'd just, he'd just sing different nonsensical lyrics for it right. because he had he never found like the right lyrics for it yep. and that's the reason they never excelled it to like releasing it Yeah. and I thought that was so cool like frustrating as a consumer yeah. <laughs> of his music but at the same time like he wasn't willing to compromise on not making it perfect so he mm-hmm. left it and who's to say they won't whip it out in a few years or something yeah, fingers crossed it. yeah yeah <laughs> But, if you're out there, Dylan, yeah, we hope, we hope you nail it. Please, <laughs> give me Untitled. So how did you discover Cloud Nothings? How did you find out about them oh, the, sort of the first time? It was actually my... Um, we I used to play in another band um, on the Sunshine Coast where I grew up. Um, it's like a surf poppy band called Provida. 
and our guitarist from that band, um, we were all driving, like it was such a cliche, driving back from the beach to go to band practice. Nice. And he was like, oh, you should check out this band. Like, I've never, like, um, I think he'd really like them. And he played um, a few a few songs off their self-titled. And I, I, just, mm-hmm. I can vividly remember everything about that moment, nice. like just being so like absorbed and going, what am I listening to yeah. right now? It was just so perfectly peaked towards my taste. His voice, like the production of it all, like the the fun kind of nature of it. It's mm-hmm. like he was singing sad songs, but they sounded happy as well. And there was such like, yeah, good heart in them, but not too like whiny really. Yeah. Even, yeah, like from hearing that, I then went home and downloaded everything I could, which was at that <laughs> point, it was just Cloud Nothings and Turning On. Okay, cool. And then also found all these random little like B-side, like lo-fi things he'd released since like little singles or little EPs. Yeah. There's an incredible um, EP. I think it was... Leave You Forever EP. It might not have been titled that, but I had the other songs Leave You Forever and Talk To Me. And like that EP is still like the most incredible. Like those songs, there's four or five songs on it, all of them are perfect. Like I could just listen to it on repeat for the rest of my life. (laughs) And yeah, I just got so hooked into like his whole sound, then reading about his story of how he just DIY'd it from scratch. and, Mm. And yeah, all of it had kind of come to him. And that's why he was just like, Going, oh my! I don't know how yeah. to handle all of this, yeah. and fumbling his way into it was. I thought that was really honest, and like mm. it's it was rare to see like an artist kind of going through that explosion of hype and have such a genuinely honest backstory behind it all, and not yeah. be some weird like hyper manufactured like prepared like PR stint. He was yeah. just so like take it as it is kind of thing, and he yeah. was very nonchalant about the whole everything coming at him, which I thought was pretty pretty cool. Cool, yeah. And so then you mentioned that you've now played with them. Well, yeah, like that was the dream yeah. come true. <laughs> it was really funny, actually. I, like weird, surreal story. I was at Laneway, I think it was 2012 or 2013. So probably a year or two after I'd heard them for the first time. That was just after they'd put out Attack on Memory and Fall In mm-hmm. was getting smashed on the radio here. Yeah. So they were actually like probably the biggest point they'd been at in, in Australia's like view. They came over and did that laneway and I bought a ticket just to see them. Went and saw them at the RNA showgrounds around the corner on a day like this. It was boiling. Yeah. They played this car park stage, which was like in a converted, like literal street. And it was just like 500 to 600, like like 18 to 21 year old kids just like heaving, going yeah. absolutely crazy, like screaming every word of their songs. And like, I know everyone there was just kind of like, where like everyone at the rest of this festival is missing something in their brain to not be at this stage and like everyone was in that same like couldn't believe what we were seeing moment later that night i actually was watching um yay like headline the main stage and my friend was like absolutely blasted drunk too drunk to like stand he was not in a good way basically and i was like i've got to take him to get home no cabs or ubers at this point like that wasn't even a thing so i took him back um out through the main gates missed like all of Yesaya's headline set which I was pretty upset about and as I was just like walking back he threw up on my leg as well <laughs> came back in through the gates vomit on my leg missed the headliner set everyone's flooding out leaving the venue and Dylan was standing there with um with the drummer oh, I can't remember his name for the life of me Jason yeah. I think but they were just standing there at the front gates and I just kind of like froze and I was like I have to do it and went over and spoke to them for a few minutes and was just kind of like gushing 19 year old going oh my god i love you so much and stuff and they were honestly like in disbelief that they were talking to someone who like their music meant so much to on the other side of the world they were like 
that's always a big thing for touring bands, from overseas touring bands. Yeah. The Australians can really get into some bands. And well, yeah, we don't. Yeah. I never thought they'd come. Yeah. So I was just like in disbelief to have watched them, let alone meet them. And then, yeah, we, a few years later, like we just, I got a text from our manager going, hey, you guys free for Tuesday in a few weeks to support Cloud Nothings? And yeah. it was like the most surreal yeah. <laughs> thing to read. Because, yeah, it's like full, come full circle. The reason I started Bugs yeah. is literally because like, I was living up in Brisbane at that point, like after I was left the coast from that first band and we were still trying to do that band. Like I was going back for practice on the train and like it was such a slug, like slog out to try and do it. And then eventually like, yeah, lived in Brisbane, was like, I want to keep making music, but I don't have my band here with me. So I just started recording lo-fi stuff on my laptop yeah, and did the exact same thing. Like yeah. started getting show offers and I was like, got to make it a real band now yeah, yeah. and then find like people. yeah like kind of same thing definitely not at the same speed yeah. <laughs> or scale or skill but yeah i can relate a lot to the kind of like whirlwind of not feeling like you're knowing what you're doing yeah and being out of your depth a lot of the time like i feel like that's not not that common a lot of people that come into music are really confident and know exactly what they want to achieve but like i've just been fumbling my way in the dark with like a towel over my eyes yeah but it's, I, it's nice. I was actually at that show. That's the same way that I discovered. I can't remember. I only heard them once they were on the radio for Attack on Memory. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember if I'd gotten the album or if I saw them and went like next day went out and got it. But yeah, like just mind-blowing show. Yeah. And like for them to be able to put something on like that in the middle of the afternoon, like you said, like you're not a headliner. It's not. Yeah. Everyone's not ready or expecting this sort of big show. Yeah. And yeah, just putting on some like just an awesome show. And then, yeah. It was yeah so I remember hot. it was always them and Japandroids that we sort of, yeah. My wife and I were at the lane way and just discovered both those guys yeah, and sort yeah. of stuck on with them the whole time through. I now. saw that Japan so, set yeah. as well and was just like, oh my God, adrenaline yeah, yeah. shift. <laughs> like, yeah, I slammed them as well for years after. Mm. But yeah, it's 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 weird seeing them do something so, yeah, well, you know what it's like. You, you're captivated and you're just instantly grabbed and I'm like, this is a band that I'll love for a long time and mm. yeah, they've, they've kept growing into, they are my favorite band. Like, yeah. It's weird, to, like a lot of people won't want to rest on a favorite but I'm like, they are they are mine absolutely like they love everything they do <laughs> yeah so outside of like the the diy and sort of having a similar start to what you're sort of working with is you mentioned when we were nominating albums the bands that made you want to write yeah is that the sort of that's where you were looking for your nomination so was there something more about cloud nothings that in the way like or influenced your writing style as well just like a lot of the um like the minor chord like furious punky verses exploding into these like major chord melancholic happy choruses that mm -hmm. like again are singing about things that are kind of sad but like it's meant to be you feel happy singing about it and it's like this reassuring kind of yeah melancholic feeling that you get from a lot of their songs a lot of that and just the like the abrasive beauty of like lo-fi recording I've, I've always loved bands like that like waves when their first album they put out was just like almost unintelligible yeah. like you can't <laughs> can barely listen to it now yeah. but that kind of stuff like I don't know what it was that appealed to me about it. it was just the beauty in like the melodies that were happening and the kind of energy behind like the drums as well particularly and not just saying like this like because he switches so much there's this chaotic furious rumbling energy and then it'll go to a song where it's like just kind of like just like swaying yeah. along super slowly but like there's just such good dynamic control throughout their songs like can explode and then suck back in or they can just cruise like they're such a diverse band in terms of like what they can achieve and especially considering on that first album it was all just like dylan yeah thinking that was all one person who had very limited experience with like writing and playing was is mind-boggling to hear it like be so 
professional and yeah if they had had like a studio and an engineer that album probably would have been like commercially somewhat successful mm. to the point where if it, if it was lo-fi and done in his bedroom and it got him to the point where he's now made a career out of it for 10 years like yeah. Yeah. imagine if he had had like hyper production and money behind it kind of yeah. thing but yeah because we normally talk about like you know the exact day it came out and any sort of chart performance and singles released from it but yeah, we don't. There's no. I couldn't find a record of the the actual day it was released because yeah. I got the feeling it was just one day. It was just there. Up on it yeah, wasn't you know, MySpace oh, or something. Big, we're gonna, yeah, we're not gonna have a big release day. We're not gonna. You know, this is the day it comes out. Everybody go and buy it now so we can chart yeah. it. It's just like one day he's writing songs and a few days later they're just they're all up there and yeah. people can do whatever they want with them. I think it was that weird middle ground point as well in the like industry, like changing of buttons or like hands when there wasn't like streaming hadn't kicked in cd sales had completely gone kaput vinyl wasn't like a sustainable selling model at all by that point either so yeah. it was this he was like he was releasing stuff when it was in this really this time when it was unclear how to release it and yeah how to promote it was just completely confused because facebook was starting to emerge but myspace was a better tool for musicians because you could yeah. actually have your music on there which yeah. a lot of people still mind-bogglingly don't understand how that hasn't been worked into facebook's framework somehow (laughs) but either way like that's what he he had like a bunch of fake bands where he'd put up like different kind of like snippets of songs and stuff and was just kind of yeah trying whatever and that's yeah i think it's really interesting how it could even be noticed because Mm. how did it even get noticed amongst his like eight to ten side projects let alone like every other person on the internet trying to do those things at that time so i think that that speaks to how good the songs are and how how like i don't know how those melodies can cut into you and like really kind of take hold and for a lot of people that just listen to it and be like i can't listen to this straight away but i think the people who like would appreciate it would kind of get it from the first like the first run through yeah they're just i don't know it's a it's like a weird personality type quirk or something yeah. that makes me like lo-fi i know i'm in the minority of people for doing it but like something about the grit and charm of it makes it like feel more genuine to me mm-hmm. and there's yeah like you're not hiding behind production you can hear people's mistakes it humanizes them to yeah. you so it makes it more inspiring as well you can feel like that's something you could achieve from listening to it so that's that there are some of the things that like i guess drew me a lot mm. to the record because there's definitely a few songs on here where he makes mis- what you would consider to be mistakes oh like yeah the beat, the, beat, <laughs> the beat just goes way off or yeah. the guitar parts like don't, they don't line up and it's very clearly gotten to the end yeah like looped it over the top listen to it back and going oh no that's fucked up either can't be bothered doing it again or it doesn't matter like it, the song is what it is and I don't yeah. care that much Yeah. and he's just gone nah we'll put it out because yeah there's a few like the, the purest sometimes in me just sort of the, you know, that chill down your spine like, what's <laughs> yeah. the drum beat just there but it's yeah yeah. It's that's all just part of that lo-fi experience yeah well. exactly it's meant to feel like you're in there and you can see him make the mistakes and yeah. it's probably a bit of both honestly because that's I from personal experience that's what it was like with me when I was recording all the early bug stuff like you'd make a mistake and half the time it'd sound cooler than what you were planning to put yeah. there so you just leave it and like yeah laziness as well is a factor yeah especially <laughs> you're if you're like, like playing it over and over and over again if, and that might be like your best take it's like alright you know yeah. what that's the best one we're, we're gonna stick with that and you don't think anyone's gonna hear it like, yeah yeah you're, just, you're doing it for yourself yeah and so you're obviously gonna have an acceptable standard where if you're just doing it for yourself then that it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. so I think that's why you can still hear a lot of the mistakes on it he never ex- intended for more than like 
I don't even think he would have intended for his immediate friends to hear it because he apparently yeah. didn't really have many as well. He yeah. was just like <laughs> such a loner. So again, I, he didn't even have like an immediate tight knit friendship circle to help like push this music and be like, oh, Dylan yeah. started a band and stuff. I mean, I'm sure he's had some people, but like to do what he's done with his like yeah people skills or his his musical skills over people skills is really admirable and inspiring and, it, and it, again shows you don't have to be this like hyper manic person who's super charismatic and super engaging and mm. like over the top to be an entertainer yeah like he's still an incredible entertainer and performer yeah. so i think it's cool he's very different i kept getting um, reminded of like almost like the white stripes sort of stuff where they do a lot of lo-fi stuff and yeah, like really yeah. low-key but then like as a friend of mine once pointed out is like the White Stripes do all that low-level production stuff, but then they make it sound like modern, yeah. clean stuff. So yeah. it's like, if you want to do the lo-fi stuff, just have it sound lo-fi. Don't then come back with tricks and try and clean it up and do stuff. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, it's very like, and I guess that's a good thing about not having, not being in a band and just going, all right, was this me? I've got no expectations. I'm just yeah. putting stuff out there and I'll just see what happens. Like, I'm, he probably didn't even think at the time it was going to be a career or anything. Oh, God. He was like, <laughs> no. these are my ideas and I'm just putting stuff out there and see yeah. what happens with it. I think he was doing like classical classical saxophone in like um like colorado or cleveland uni or something like that right. as well at the time and then like so he had like a small background in music but it was more like i guess orchestral or classical music and you can still hear a lot of that i think in like melodies that he picks he has these resounding major chord melodies that almost sound like a disney like theme song and stuff or like mm -hmm. parts that i'm like that has to have come from a place where it's like a very like I guess not structured, but yeah, like an ob he goes to like obvious melodical like yep. peaks and highs and stuff, which yeah. I really love because I grew up watching Disney films yeah. <laughs> and listening to Spice Girls and yeah. like love pop music. So he still infuses like that really catchy element of pop music, but yep. hides it underneath all of that more interesting wrapping of the production, mm. which is that's what's cool. It's like so different in that regard. You've got like a lot of catchy, poppy, hooky stuff, but it's like not like just easy to listen to for a lot of people yeah. yeah it's that good mix of like i think like it's not really sort of dark and dirges like it is pop music but yeah. it is or pop melodies or pop rhythms but then covered in the in the stuff that makes it work for him as yeah well. yeah so it's and you don't feel cheesy when you're singing those yeah disney yeah. melody i wouldn't anyway so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but either way it's like yeah it's, it it gives it a more more authenticity or genuine mm -hmm. kind of feel i guess as opposed to like feeling like he's borrowing it from a style or something so did you have any favourite songs you wanted to talk about specifically? Um, probably like, I'd say Morgan. probably like my two two favorites it's pretty funny actually as well i think like um this single that did really well hey cool kid that was picked up and played on radio a fair bit and college radio in america that kind of like was the initial push that's probably the one that i like like least on the record to right. to be honest okay not that i don't like like it per se but it's like the least i guess attention grabbing mm -hmm. 
There's, yeah, but I'd say Morgan's my favorite. <laughs> it was, yeah, I found, because obviously I'm like, it's two brackets, so the first eight songs and then the next five. Yeah. And I found, I found Hey Kill Kid an unusual track because that was supposed to be the single. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I didn't really find, I thought probably even like Can't Stay Awake or even Old Street would have yeah, been, yeah. been better. But then, I mean, I'm, we're talking about singles, but it's not singles in the traditional sense of exactly. putting out a release thing. That they were just the ones that he happened to have written first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He would, he would have, he just did it in, in chronolo- chronological order, yeah. and that's like the way it kind of came out. So I agree. Those, the, those also would have been good singles. Mm. Old Street's so good. But the, but can't say awake. The first song has like the back half. It has a lot of those mistakes. Where yeah, it's the drum mistakes in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would have, yeah, unusual choice for single as well. Yeah. So it's interesting. That you've picked two of the songs from the last, that last bracket of five. Yeah. Do you know where that last set of five songs came from? Were they stuff that he'd already recorded or new stuff that he did for Car Park? Car Park, yeah, yeah. yeah. He did. Um, to my understanding, it was basically I think two or three of them were B sides he'd recorded at the time but not had finished. Okay. And then the other two were basically songs that he had gotten to like he'd written during the process of Car Park being interested. Yeah. So then he basically recorded them quickly at the end when Car Park offered to re-release it because he wanted to just throw them on because I think he didn't want to like have them be stuck to the next cycle because they yeah. were already talking about like we'll have another album and all this other kind of stuff that yeah. he wouldn't have ever expected. So I think he would have just quickly kind of hustled and gone all right, I'll put those three B-sides on so I don't have to like think about them anymore and yeah. I'll just finish up these other two because it's they all were within the same batch even mm-hmm. though they weren't written at the same time. So I think that's why. But um, I, 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 wasn't, I didn't know they were both um, from the back, like the added songs as well. That's funny. Yeah, that's, that's a track 12 and 13. Must be um, ones. I like, I like um, yeah, <laughs> songs that aren't meant to be put on albums yeah. probably. <laughs> I'm such an intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's too mainstream in songs that are actually <laughs> yeah. on albums. Because I, I actually found it interesting when I listen for it, I can hear a jump between the first eight tracks and the next five. In his songwriting, there's a bit of, lyrically, lyric-wise, there's a bit of an expansion, like moving yeah. away from that sort of stol- solid pattern from the first one. Yeah, yeah. But even just in a bit of the production, I didn't know whether Car Park had helped out a little bit because I do think in the first ones, he it feels like, and I don't, I don't know much of the terminology, but it feels like he hasn't really mixed it at all. He's yeah, just gone, yeah. everything sounds the same level. Yeah. Vocals, drum, guitar, bass, you pick out the bits you like, yeah, yeah. done. But in those last five, it feels like he starts bringing his voice a little bit more yeah. forward so you can hear it a little clearer. I think that was just him, like that was him like developing his own skill. like production because yeah. he was still, he still produced all those songs. So I think that was just him like gradually getting better because yeah, that like that's such an infancy kind of baby mm. style like record to put out first is literally his first attempt at recording something. Yeah. So, and and once you're doing it that often, you do like improve pretty drastically quick. So yeah. that's why I think it would have just been like a kind of progression afterward where he's gone, oh, okay, I can I can change the levels of these things yeah. rather than just like record it all at full full clipping, which I imagine he would have been doing <laughs> for almost all of it, judging by like the natural distortions, yeah. like kind of squeal that comes through on a lot of it. It's he, almost like he would have done an iPhone microphone on the drums in some like, in yeah. parts, but like it works and it yeah, sounds yeah. great. Because the, the way he layers vocals is a bit different in the last ones. Like it's a bit cleaner. Yeah, yeah, and true. Been, like some samples and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Things. So yeah, you could de- even just from these eight to the next five, you can see that progression is already starting to happen. Yeah. So you can already see. So he, they put out. He puts out three albums in three years. Yeah, which is like super prolific. Especially He's, like normally, like I wouldn't trust many bands to put out three good albums in three years. Yeah. So. <laughs> And they just yeah. like they just got well not better but like they you know, they developed really rapidly like yeah. the difference between Cloud Nothings and like the album and then like Attack on Memory is huge like mm. in terms of like maturity in writing and production like 
you would almost think that then it's not possible for them to be by the same band within a year of each other, especially in such an in, like an infant stage of the band. But like, yeah. it was incredible how quickly he churned them out, and still like they managed to churn one out seemingly every year and a half mm. or so now. Yeah, they're still super prolific. Yeah, they just work their backsides off and like tour relentlessly for nine months, and then Dylan goes back and writes for nine months, and then they just do it all again. And yeah. I can't see them stopping like any time soon, which is like they they work so hard with how much they tour. They're an mm. incredible bands, like yeah. how how much they've put into it. So yeah, there are thirteen different versions of this on disco on discography. So between <laughs> the different releases, and there was there's two versions on Spotify. One of them is thirteen. One of them's got a remix of Hey Cool Kid on yeah, the end of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I got I listened to that one because I, I wasn't sure which one. I, they, they don't they don't look different. They're just same album cover, same yeah. t- album name. Yeah. So I must have picked the one that had the remix on the end. And I got to the remix, and I'm just because I'm listening to my background at work, and I'm like. This sounds weird. This, yeah. this, weird. this feels weird. And then it ends and it loops back around. Like, okay, so I'm on the wrong version now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's like so many different versions. And they've all got like their different release dates and different like vinyl versions and yeah. overseas releases and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like, a, yeah, they've got like much bigger kind of like label scene in America as well. And a more like the bigger physical scene with like those kind of little splits and singles that they do with seven inches. Yeah. This is a lot cheaper to produce vinyl over there. So they can kind of like bands of that level could experiment with it which yeah they weren't that big yet but mm-hmm. it's that's why this and then yeah as i said earlier there's so many weird little kind of like tracks yeah hiding around the place where like i'll i'll find one every now and again like just that i haven't heard that was from like 2013 or something that was was recorded like lo-fi somewhere for some like thing like they did a split with toro Imoi at one point mm-hmm. they did like um I think it was like with bloods or someone like that as well they did a split with i'm not not 100 percent sure but like yeah that that was a weird big thing as well in america at that time like i'm the waves and best coast doing splits and all bands like kind of helped each other grow their fan bases which was really cool yeah but yeah that's there's so many weird like random songs from them out there mm. i wish that they could be all compiled into one yeah. release <laughs> yeah yeah it's one of the yeah i always got the feeling like george talks about like the indie punk scene because that's she's involved with that a lot and everyone sort of supports each other backs each other up yeah, helps each other yeah. out. And i got the feeling there's always especially in america where it's so huge like that indie pop indie rock lo-fi scene as well there's a lot of helping each other out and oh, you yeah. know getting people on a getting people on a lineup so people can sort of find you find out who you are and that sort yeah of thing. yeah it seems a like and that whole college radio scene and everything yeah. it's got like a very yeah. community feel and diy feel which is why like you kind of, I guess, have to be pretty similar in Australia. We don't have enough people to support, like, no. as big a version of it. But, yeah. like, we do have, like, a, we're pretty lucky here. We do really well with Australia, in Australia with the population that we have. So, not whinging by any means. But they do, they're an incredible community over there in America. Mm. Especially, like, they have more scenes and more genres that, are, like, have a solid scene behind them kind of thing. And, yeah, it doesn't seem like they're competitive with each other. It's, like, a very cohesive working together environment, which is, it's really cool. Yeah. Because a lot of other aspects of the music industry seem quite dog eat dog. Yeah. So seeing bands and like people help each other and help promote each other is cool because that's what we've always wanted to do with like our friends and stuff. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Do you find there's a similar sort of, if not as big a scene, at least there's a similar sort of attitude towards that here in Brisbane and in, in yeah. Australia? Well, particularly Brisbane. Like, I think Australia is really good for it because we have like, again, not that many people and a massive like touring is expensive really expensive because you've got to outlay you've got to travel such big expenses yeah. of space to get to these places there's not as big as not as much competition because there's not as many people so your prices of everything are higher so like 
touring interstate's really expensive. The like on the last tour that we did with Grinspoon, I s- stayed in people's houses the entire tour. Yeah. At one point, we were away for like fourteen days in a row, every night in a friend's or like friend of a friend's house. Yeah. Like, and they're all playing in bands, and we've got the support band towns up from Adelaide that we're playing with tonight. They're going to be staying in our house. Um, like we have a band probably once every week or two staying yeah. at our house. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's not out of like it's honestly not out of a necessity like you wouldn't you don't do it because you have to like everyone does it for each other because they know that that's that's how it works and we want to kind of thing Mm -hmm. and like and it's just really nice like being able to go to another city and feel like you're comfortable and you're like with your friends as opposed to like in a sterile like airbnbs are fine but like (laughs) a sterile space where you're like removed from like the like community and people like when you're staying with locals you at least like get to hang with their friends and like you get a feeling for like what the area and community is like and yeah. in Australia it's like not that big like we know like so pretty much everyone in the Brisbane like scene-ish thing there's not not many people I would say that I haven't met at least yeah and yeah most people are kind of because it's so small there's a good like a good crew it's like if you were if you're a dickhead or if you were misbehaving, you'd get noticed and called out really yeah. quickly because it's like you're going to stand out in a small yeah. group of people. Word's going to get around really easily. Yeah, there's like a good accountability in Australia, I feel. So there's not like this... I mean, you're always going to have dickhead bands that pop up and like people that get cancelled and all that kind of stuff. It's like... I think it's actually overall a good thing, people being held accountable for their actions, obviously. Yeah. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's still like everyone's got each other's backs in the music industry, seemingly. Or like at least all of our friendship circles do and we're all kind of like trying to achieve very similar things so you can just instantly like sit down and have a good honest relatable conversation with people so it's it's really good in australia and yeah we're all we're all on the same boat it's and it's like a very rickety boat that's often yeah. sinking so <laughs> it's nice to be nice to each other when you're yeah. in those like tough situations high pressure situations yeah no one's slept no one's got money everyone's like under pressure like you just try and be a nice person which most people that we deal with are it's it's really been been easy yeah cool um we'll just cover more songs that i wanted to flag that i really liked um turning on the title track oh yeah um has like a big has a slow burn into the big finish so yeah, it cuts it yeah. back to just the bass brings in the vocals brings in the drums brings in the guitars because everything's still lo-fi level the big finish is just all four of them are there now like like there isn't one thing that really sort of crescendo so i thought that was a cool mix yeah yeah um also um very reminiscent then of wasted days it's like a little precursor it's like yeah wait till you see why i really get hold of (laughs) a track like this like it's gonna go for nine minutes that's gonna be awesome yeah but yeah this is like the little warm-up to that kind of learning how to do a sprawling experimental song yeah i love even the chorus in like that 
how it just drops to this like that really simple like the bass just like droning those two notes basically and mm-hmm. just the vocal like it simmers back down to that and then come yeah it kind of builds back up again from there i love how like yeah with a lot of the time he won't go straight into like a big loud chorus yeah there'll be almost most this like false quiet part that then will like lull you into thinking you've gone into that section but then it'll just explode again really quickly mm. so that's yeah he's really he's tricky with how he kind of structures stuff and you, yeah you can see it with a lot of the kind of like infancy elements in that first record you can see him kind of toying with structures and like yeah where to bring in other instruments as well so it's pretty cool cool um did you so what we normally do when we wrap these things up is like get people to do like a final pitch for why you think the album's flawless and also if there's a track you think that if someone hadn't heard any cloud nothings before if there's like one track you think they should check out that would give them a real snapshot of what the album's all about well i yeah i reckon you should listen to turning on by cloud nothings because it is brave in how it explores textural arrangement for production. It was a pretty pioneering, iconic lo-fi record, I think, from that era because because of how how genuine it was. Dylan wasn't yeah a, a learned musician. He wasn't like a proven songwriter. He was just like trying and being very purely creative, and that's what I think you can kind of hear throughout all the mistakes and all the nuances of like little weird elements of production. I think for those reasons, paired with his incredible like knack for writing hooks, he's naturally obviously got something in him that can make a song just so instantly catchable, catchy and relatable. So I think a lot of the songs, despite seeming like they're going to be abrasive sonically, they are instantly so like grabbing that you will, you will find a way to find the beauty in the production. And I think a good song that would be a good representation of the whole album would probably be another man because it's yeah it's got those kind of like furious elements it's got like the jangly out of time guitar and then it explodes into these like really catchy choruses it's got all the woos in particular <laughs> one thing that he loved using on this record which i kind of wish he'd bring back a little bit <laughs> he had all these like wooey kind of sections which are really kind of like i don't know surfy almost yeah. like beach yep. boysy kind of stuff so i think that one would be a good one because it's like a bit more easily digestible for most people and it's just like a straight up pop hit it progresses really nicely it doesn't get boring you could listen to any of the songs on the record yeah. and they're like and they're never long enough to bore you as well yeah yeah that's the thing listening from front to back you barrel through it in what 30 35 minutes yeah. so it doesn't despite like it not being like super lush and pretty to listen to you you're just kind of like feel like you've been shaken a little bit yeah. by the end of it in a way yeah. and that's what i want to i want to feel something with music like mm-hmm. specifically with them i feel so much when i listen to their music that's yeah that's the one thing i guess I get out of it that I would like implore other people to try and get because it gives me this feeling of like energy and like yeah this this ability to relate to the kind of like not necessarily just the lyrics but the music so much as a whole that yeah. I, it just like takes over me get like like tingles on my arms <laughs> and like goosebumps when I listen to stuff by them so yeah check out Cloud Nothings turning on it's amazing cool Well, thank you very much for joining us and thank you for nominating the album. Have a great show tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. No worries. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. We have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we are Flawless AMP on all of those. So check us out. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Every little bit 
helps us to find music lovers just like you. Uh, we also have, as I mentioned, Patreon. That's patreon.com slash flawlessamp. And we are also now part of the uh, Play On Radio network. So you can hear us, our new episodes and repeat episodes, Monday afternoons at 5 o'clock, uh, daylight savings time. So you'll have to sort out what time that is for yourself. Um, playonradio.live is the address for that. Uh, other than that, thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.